0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities.
1: COVID-19 is not an underestimation. It's not an overstatement to say that it changes the way the economies are going to be managed, developed, and the way people are going to live their lives for the foreseeable future.
0: Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. Well, what are your thoughts on base metals? Uh, let me know by emailing me at bill at What information do you want about base metal investing or any questions about base metal content that I featured on this show? I'd be interested in your thoughts. Again, the email address is bill at Com. On today's show, we're going to be hearing from a base metals expert, Mr. Paul Robinson of the CRU Group. I've listened to Paul at previous PDAC conferences. I follow him on Twitter and appreciate his posts there. He has one of the best Twitter handles for what he does. You can find him at base metals. Yes, it's that simple at base metals on Twitter. Paul has over 25 years experience in commodities, industries working across the metals, mining and powers sectors. And again, you can find him on Twitter at BaseMetals.com. Uh Paul, welcome to mining stock education. I appreciate you coming on the show. How about we start off with a little more of your professional background so listeners can get a feel for you. And also please share about the CRU group and uh, what that does, so listeners can uh, get informed about that as well.
1: Thank you, Bill. And and first of all, just um, thank you very much for inviting me to share my thoughts with you know with with your uh, followers, your customers at miningstockeducation.com. It's a pleasure to speak to you today. Um, and it certainly is um, unusual times, difficult times for everyone in the industry. So my uh, my my personal um, regards goes out to everybody who's um, dealing with the circumstances we have to be in. Um, my background, for, as, you, as you referred to, Bill, I've spent 25 years in the commodity sector. That's mainly been in uh, metals mining and the power sector. The first half of my career in the front office actually as a structured deal uh, negotiator. And then I moved to the dark side, the analytical side, 15 years ago when I joined CRU. Um, At CIU, I have responsibility for our cross-commodity analysis, and I also work as part of the executive with our strategic partners at Fitch Ratings, one of the credit uh, ratings agencies. Um, CIU itself, for those who don't know us, we are about 300 people strong. We are a research house that focuses on the metals, mining, and fertilizer industry. We don't take any positions, so our views aren't colored by any positions we might be taking in the markets, as we don't take any. Um, And we really cover everything from the price of steel tomorrow. And um, if you went to the CME and looked at their hot rod coil steel contract, you would see that that is actually settled against CIU price assessments made out of our office in Pittsburgh. Um, everything out to what does the world look like in thirty years time, and what might that mean for electric vehicles, cobalt, nickel, etc., and everything in between. Um, I personally, the last thing I'll say about Cau. Now, I've worked there for fifteen years. I've worked there for fifteen years for two main reasons, really. The first being the unprecedented access we have to the global industry, just because of that independent nature of our business. Um, and the second is the great people. Three hundred people. And you know, spread across the world, and I'm very fortunate to work in a profession and work in a company where I can pick up the phone to a colleague in China in the morning and finish my day with a uh, colleague in Pittsburgh or um, Santiago. So I'm 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 all in, I guess, as you would say.
0: And your group has a good feel for what's going on in the industry. So I'm curious to understand from your perspective, how does this COVID-19 crisis change your outlook for the second half of this year and also next year for um, commodities such as copper, zinc, and nickel?
1: COVID-19 is not an underestimation. It's not an overstatement to say that it changes the way the economies are going to be managed, developed, and the way people are going to live their lives for the foreseeable future. Um, Now, having said that, nobody knows how permanent this is, and nor how this will impact the metals and mining sector over the medium term. So we need to look at history, we need to listen to our people on the ground, and we need to develop scenarios to explore different outcomes. Now our central scenario, we are assuming that there will be a sharp economic rebound in 2021, though not strong enough to recover the lost output of 2020, and then we will resume some sort of steady growth, and that's, you know, that's probably within consensus. We expect to see good initial rebound in industrial production, particularly in construction activity, because, of course, projects are part completed and there will be contractual commitments to deliver to deadlines. So we could see a real acceleration in construction activity on a global basis, but a slower rebound in the automotive sector. What does that mean for copper, for zinc, for nickel, as you asked? Well, this scenario creates short term surpluses in 2020 across most commodities. And frankly, you know, that's down to the demand contraction outstripping any supply disruption that your uh, listeners may also be aware of. Um, But the positive in this scenario is that markets start to tighten again in 2021. So as a consequence, we've downgraded demand forecasts, we've downgraded price forecasts across 2020. But fingers crossed, you know, we have some of that bounce back in 2021. And that really depends on, on, you know, on, on the health of each individual commodity as we went into this COVID crisis. The last point I'd make before I hand back is, in reality, I personally think it's going to be another three to six months before we really see how consumer spending is affected by this crisis or not, where that consumer spending takes place, and therefore how business confidence is impacted. That consumer spending and business confidence, that will determine the actions that miners may have to take and the future path of commodity prices out, you know, 2021 and beyond.
0: As an analyst, you have to take in empirical data, but you also make some assumptions as you forecast. And as you're taking in all this information and literally across the world, this is a new situation for us, an unprecedented situation for us to be in. Is this one of the hardest times to actually forecast
1: accurately, do you think, as an analyst? it is one of the hardest times to work with customers who expect a spot forecast. So uh, maybe answer it a different way. Those who are out there either professing to know or requesting a definitive answer, you know, it's just it's just a dart in the dartboard. So really at this time, you've got to rely on a couple of things. You've got to rely on that scenario planning to say, what are the multiple different worlds that could occur? And alongside that, you've got to work on what are the metrics, what are the signals the market are going to send me that will tell me which of those paths we're going down. And so there's a little bit of talking to clients about how to deal with the uncertainty. Um, there's a little bit of work, uh, building those scenarios. There's a lot more work saying, how do I work out which path we're going down and what are those, um, you know, what are those signals I'm looking for in the market?
0: I live in Southeast Michigan, uh, outside of Metro Detroit. And a couple of years ago, I attended a CRU presentation that was done primarily for people that are in the automotive industry and it focused on the commodity of aluminum, so I'm curious to get your thoughts, how do you think that aluminum will be, demand will be impacted? Because as I look around here, I don't see any of these dealers around me selling cars right now.
1: Yeah, so it's a really, really good question. I talked earlier about uh, about the recovery in, 20, uh, in 2020, 2021, and I talked about construction and pointed out the fact that those projects are committed, at least those first phase, and so we will almost guarantee to see a rebound. Automotive is very different. It comes down to now the confidence of the consumer to go out and buy new automotives, rather than maybe hold on to their older cars for a little longer, or, you know, or just save that money. So within the aluminum sector, we see that, um, you know, we believe that the transport market as a whole accounts for something like 23 percent of global aluminum demand. So this is a significant hit to both the, um, you know, to the automotive market and the aluminum market as a whole. Um, If we go back to the um, COVID-19 crisis, sorry, if we go back to the GFC crisis, consumption rates were um, closer to five percent. This time we think global consumption growth is going to be non-existent um, going forward. So the issue we've got is just the impact on transportation. We're expecting a 17% drop in aluminum demand for transportation, followed by that rebound of 11% in 2021. We're expecting construction to contract by 9% for aluminum products. The most robust sector we think is going to be packaging. Ultimately, the challenge for aluminum and as i say with 23% demand a lot of it driven by the automotive sector is going to be the surpluses that we think are going to build in 2020 um, and unwinding those surpluses over the years to come.
0: Paul you referenced the global financial crisis of 2008-2009. I'm interested to get your take on what are some of the differences that we should be aware of this time around versus what you saw as an analyst back then.
1: Thank you for that. That's a, it's a really important question and and It's nice to say there are some positives as well as some negatives looking at this uh, situation compared to the GFC. So I'm an optimist at heart. So I'll start with the negatives and we'll get those out of the way. Now, on the downside for metals and mining, China's economy is far more developed than it was during the GFC. And therefore, we believe it's very unlikely that we're going to see the same levels of infrastructure build and the same level of SRB commodity stockpiling that helped commodity demand and helped commodity prices back in 2008, 2009. Effectively, China bought the world's surpluses in key metals like copper and aluminum and provided price support. And we don't think we're gonna see that this time. So that's a downside. The second downside that shouldn't be underestimated is there's simply not the same global political will to work together and solve both the COVID-19 and potential economic crisis as there was during the GFC. And this creates uncertainty on forecasts, which comes back to your earlier point. And my own personal concern is there's a real danger that governments are going to spend more of their time over the next six months doing sort of finger pointing at other nations and not enough time working on uh, coordinated policymaking to um, increase the, uh, the speed of the recovery. So they're the two downsides in comparison to the GFC. The upsides are real as well, though. So one potential positive difference and upside is the nature of the um, COVID-19 crisis. Social distancing, it's having the most significant impact on the commodity light service sector so we're not traveling we're not commuting it's unlikely we're going to be able to take holidays or, or, um, or, um, or, or travel great distances we're not going to cinemas we're not going to restaurants what happens to that disposable income Will consumers save that disposal of income or maybe they'll say, say, um, they will spend it on goods? Maybe they'll say, spend it on autos to remain more distance. Maybe they will um, spend it on home improvements. And certainly looking at my uh, local Home Depot equivalent, you know, the queues were, um, were quite significant when they reopened. So there's certainly some demand going there. Of course, it may be that there is just a rapid emergence of mass unemployment, which mitigates any potential sector gains, but that's one potential upside. The second significant upside is that this isn't a credit crunch like it was in 2008-9. There's likely to be plenty of dollars looking for a home this year and next. And I think if the sector as a whole can prove that it can protect margins, And it can do that by managing supplies it can do that by managing its margins actually this could be an outperformed sector on both an absolute and a relative basis and i'd ask you the question you know given the choice right now if the miners can prove they can protect margins and they've got the, the the determination to protect margins would you currently invest in metals and mining or would you prefer to be in commercial property or retail or aviation or the auto sector so there's a real opportunity to become a sink for some of those extra dollars but the industry has to probably do a little bit more to prove its um, its value
0: and I definitely would invest in the miners but of course that's my bias as a host of a show like this (laughs) (laughs) yes of course the CRU group, it's a global. So you have a global perspective, not just a European or North American perspective. So what are you hearing from your team on the ground in China? Anything more you can share with us
1: here? Yes, I can. So I, I speak to the team regularly. I was actually on a call with a couple of them very early this morning, your time. Um, you know, again, positives. The initial signals from China are very good. So you'd have all seen the rebound in PMI data, the rebound in IP, in construction activity, and even auto sales showing a reversal. You know, all of those are still below where they should be, but at least they're traveling in the right direction. We've got 35 staff based in China. We've been in China now for 15 years. And what they're seeing on the ground fits with that data. So on the supply side, mines, smelters, refineries, they're all returning to operation. Uh, That's positive for the growth in China. It's, It's a bit worrying for supply, if I'm perfectly honest, in terms of supply being stronger than we would hope for. But around them, in their neighborhoods, the streets are filling up again, and there's very strong support for the government actions that were taken by the Chinese government throughout the crisis. And I know that's a very, um, it's, 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 it's a very controversial point, but the issue here is that there is strong support from the Chinese people, and therefore they are more likely to follow their local government advice. And if that is go out and spend, and you believe your government, then you will go out and spend. Now, talk of stockpiling is muted, going back to our sector. They are starting to hear of some new infrastructure projects, which will be good for the bulk commodities. The one issue with China, so the one concern that is one of my um, one of my triggers that I talked about earlier in terms of what path we follow down, is i haven 't spoken to anyone in China yet who has become less risk averse for themselves and their families, so again, none of them are planning any holidays, none of them are planning to travel to local metals industry conferences which are restarting again because of the risk of infection. None of them are going to restaurants with their families and I spoke to one of my colleagues this morning and she told me she has no intention of taking her family to the cinema for the next six months. Mm -hmm. So that service sector side is not rebounding yet in China, and if it doesn't rebound in China, I think you know there's a there's a pathway there that we can look to perhaps to um, the US and European economies as the hit really being on the service side.
0: What metal do you see the biggest supply and demand gap for in the second half of this year?
1: I, I I wish I could be a bit more optimistic for you and and offer some deficits, but I don't see any I don't see any deficits in the market. Um, but having said that. I think we're seeing a continued tightness in iron ore, um, which we saw at the um, back end of 2019. And we're seeing that continue in 2020 through the pandemic, uh, through, through the pandemic. And that's being very supportive of prices, of course, which is fantastic for the, um, for the big miners with their uh, large iron ore exposure. Um, why? So there's a few points as to why that's happening. Um, First is that um, about 20% of China's iron ore consumption is met with domestic supply, and they have had domestic supply disruptions, albeit that they're now starting to um, recover, but they've had to draw down on stocks. We've got continued seaborne supply disruptions, some uh, from the weather and some of it by um, Vale and other Brazilian assets that have been impacted from the um, terrible disaster that um, hit the the Vale Dam disaster back in in, uh, the, the beginning of last year. So supply disruptions, both from the COVID and ongoing supply disruptions have tightened that market. Uh, steel demand actually is relatively strong in China, and that is driving the uh, the international traded in iron ore, particularly from Australia, back into the market. And we have come into this market with low iron ore inventories, and therefore the base that the industry is starting from allows us or certainly uh, leads us to predict that we're going to have a balanced market and strong, strongly supported iron ore prices throughout 2020.
0: Paul, I get emails and questions from the listeners of this podcast, and as commodity and mining investors, we're always looking to, to catch a commodity at the bo- bottom of the cycle and, of course, make a profit on the way up. And one of the questions that I've gotten is regarding the commodity TIN. Are you bullish on TIN right now, or what can you share with the outlook for TIN?
1: Um, I'm pretty neutral on tin at the moment. I, I have to say. So we've seen some um, disly, supply disruption from Indonesia, which um, I think helps the um, helps the market balance. Um, but I think it's also one of those industries that is, or sorry, um, the the electronics and the downstream sector is particularly hit by um, supply chain disruptions. So um, I'm I'm nervous about calling for it to be um, bullish in 2021. Uh, Sorry, in 2020, Um, but I think it will. It really does come down to the demand picture and that link to how consumers spend money going forward. Um, So, I'm afraid not. Not for tin. Not for me today.
0: If you had to choose only one metal or commodity that you think would be most negatively affected by this current crisis, uh, what would it be?
1: Oh, the negative one. I'm afraid is aluminium, which we started to talk to talk about earlier. So um, there is the demand story on aluminium. The other, very briefly, the other. Challenge with aluminium is the supply side. So uh, supply in uh, China remains profitable at the moment. So we uh, we see less than one percent of smelters being cash negative in China as it stands today. And there are various local schemes to help support those industries in China as it stands today. Um, Actually, even across the rest of the world, less than 20 percent of smelters are unprofitable. And that's a lot to do with the fact that the cost of energy has come down so significantly. And the cost curve is very flat. So um, it's very difficult to identify a particular part of the cost curve and say they should close. So unfortunately, we believe that this is an industry that once again, We'll have, to, uh, we'll have to massively oversupply and massively overstock until it takes the necessary action to close enough smelters. And therefore, we're, we're quite bearish on, on aluminum, both in uh, 2020 and 2021.
0: Thank you for that uh, insight. When it comes to the battery metals, we have commodities such as uh, lithium, vanadium, nickel, cobalt. Uh, what would be your most bullish outlook when it comes to the battery metals
1: oh so um so my it's interesting because my my views on the battery metals in terms of that medium term remain unchanged although the path to get there may be a little bit slower so fundamentally cobalt and nickel remain my two favorites in the medium term and if you push me to choose one i'd say cobalt so why cobalt has the most concentrated supply and therefore it is um, it is limited in its supply upside Um, the risk on the supply in cobalt of course is there is is a risk of it being innovated out of batteries but you know that's that's been called too early before and um, cobalt uh, I think has a um, has has a secure future in battery metals for for the next decade two decades at least Nickel demand is probably more robust under more technology scenarios. Um, Class one supply is limited at the moment. So that's another um, positive for nickel. But again, the downside there is that Chinese have a great history of repurposing nickel supplies. So, you know, think MPI on that side. Lithium is my least favorite. All of this will be determined by a rebound in electric vehicle sales. And again, one of those signals I'm looking for from the us from europe and china before i would go all in is just a real sense of purpose to say you know this is an opportunity to double down on the electric vehicle green revolution or alternatively you know if the if 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 the governments uh, look towards um supporting legacy industries and look to support supporting um, energy and oil-based industries then maybe that path towards greatness in nickel and cobalt will, will take a little bit longer.
0: Do you think copper would be the biggest winner of the green electrical vehicle revolution?
1: Oh, most certainly. So copper, um, copper is one of those metals that came into this downturn in a good position from a stock position, uh, from a um, fundamental balance position, and actually also from a, um, you know, from a um, supply p- uh, pipeline position. So, as if and when there is a recovery i would expect copper to be um you know to be the base metal that leads um leads the complex out of this um out of this um downturn and certainly electric vehicles would just boost that um would 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 would, would boost that trend
0: it's a uh, spring here in Michigan so when i uh went to the store once or twice a week recently i see that the fer- the fertilizers are right there when you walk in so uh what can you share with us about the fertilizer market
1: so i'm i'm glad we we we're, we're talking about a a, a a a more positive subject so <laughs> you know the, the 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 key takeaway is That this crisis has had a very limited impact on spring season planting and it's had a very limited impact on the agricultural sector as a whole. So H1 2020 looks very good for fertilizers and very good for fertilizer demand. Our teams um, in in China, in the US and in Europe have not changed their um, their fertilizer forecasts on this first half. However, you know crop price signals um, are down; they have weakened, and that does lead to some risk in the back end of this year in terms of the affordability of fertilizers for um, for particularly the smaller uh, farmers. We don't have that in our um, base case. More broadly fertilizer consumption is 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 relatively inelastic if you're going to point to them you know historically nitrogen becomes the most inelastic and then phosphates and potash um follow so potash good for the um, canadian industry and on the supply side we have seen some temporary production losses um particularly in china um, but they are now coming back to um back to normal levels so in in summary um broadly on the fertilizer market Unaffected at the moment, some downside risk, um, and prices should really stabilize and continue their path 2020 through to, um, uh, through to the medium term. So a, a good news story there.
0: Paul, there could be uh, people listening to us, fund managers, high net worth individuals that would be interested in your services. Who specifically do you serve with your analysis? So
1: we've been in existence for 50 years now, and um, we, serve, you know, it, 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 we, we serve anybody who really has a, um, a, a detailed interest in the uh, metals mining fertilizer sector. Our customers, you can say, are broken down into four main groups, so we have mining companies, everything from junior miners to those big corporates that we all know from across the world, every nation every um, every country. Our second group are the consumers, so the major consumers of commodities and and again also those. Vitally important small mom-and-pop operations that you know that consume that steel, that consume that aluminum, and turn them into the everyday goods and services that you and I consume. Our third grouping here are, is the financial sector, so whether that's um, hedge funds or um, banks or anybody with that commodity exposure. And then the, um, the the fourth group are the the governments and other stakeholders that are looking to ensure that they're getting the right um, proportion of the value chain for their exposure to commodities and we have people all over the world so we have offices in south and north america in europe in um, in in china singapore australia india and i would be you know i would be delighted to put um, anybody in touch with our local expertise and and let them show the, um, the show the quality of the uh, ciu services themselves
0: and if a listener wants to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do
1: that? So they can either me- message me on Twitter. You were very kind to um to post that out earlier I'm at base metals, or they can email me directly, paul.robinson at Crugroup.com. I would love to hear further questions. I would love to um I would love to deal with queries. Um, I always say that um please don't fear, you know, don't don't worry about sending me cu- uh, questions, send me anything you like. Don't be offended if I then turn around and say sorry. I'm not going to answer that for you, but please, you know, ask those questions and test my limits of what I'm, you know, what I'm willing to talk about and give away for free.
0: You've been listening to Paul Robinson, expert base metal and analyst with CRU Group. Again, give him a follow at Base Metals on Twitter. Paul, thanks for coming on the show today and sharing your insights. Much appreciated.
1: And and it's been an absolute pleasure to be invited by you, Bill. And um, it's uh, I'm a follower of MiningStockEducation.com, and um, you know the the range of speakers you bring on is fantastic and uh, just, I think in, in these times listening to people yourself and getting that that breadth of perspectives is is important to anyone so thank you for the opportunity you gave me today <laughs>